There's a man in America that wrote all of your textbooks. The way he tells it, colonization did more good than bad. The way he tells it, slavery wasn't so bad after all. And the way he tells it, there's no such thing as a good Indian unless it's a dead Indian. But there's a problem with this man. He doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Welcome to the podcast that goes to war with that man. For centuries, history has been the tool of masters, oppressors, settlers, and invaders. Let's change that. My name is Noah Ramage. And my name is David Hamilton. This is Uncolonial History. A battle is currently raging over whether or not Confederate symbols of hate have any place in our society. And from the looks of so many monuments coming down, there seems to be at least some reason for hope. All over the country, city workers have been ordered to take down statues of Confederates that fought for slavery, such as Robert E. Lee and Jefferson Davis. In Louisiana, they took down four monuments in one night. The workers even wore bulletproof vests and masks to protect their identities and safety. In Durham, North Carolina, they didn't even wait. Protesters took things into their own hands and tore down a statue themselves. And this is great. After all, there are symbols of racial hate and slavery. And that's why we're going to take them all down. Well, not all of them. You had people in that group that were there to protest the taking down of, to them, a very, very important statue and the renaming of a park from Robert E. Lee to another name. George Washington was a slave owner. Was George Washington a slave owner? So will George Washington now lose his status? That was President Trump making a pretty crazy argument. He basically said, no, we're not taking down Confederate statues because they're an important part of our history. And then he doubled down. Let's take a second look at part of what he just said. Are we going to take down, excuse me, are we going to take down, are we going to take down statues to George Washington? How about Thomas Jefferson? What do you think of Thomas Jefferson? You like him? Okay, good. Are we going to take down the statue? Because he was a major slave owner. That is the president of the United States putting George Washington and the Confederates on the same level, the same moral high ground. And the question we're going to ask today is, why not? The day after Trump made these comments, there was a firestorm. The New York Times, the Washington Post, the LA Times, and several other major papers released opinion pieces that slammed Trump. These journalists responded to Trump by saying, well, of course George Washington is in a different category. The Confederates betrayed the country. George Washington, while a slave owner, was a dedicated founding father. The real issue here is that those journalists tried to remove slavery from the conversation, something that historians try to do far too often. And it's important to note those journalists from the Washington Post and the New York Times, they don't speak for us. Just take a listen to how Pastor James Dukes of the Liberation Christian Church responded, because he had a different view on the Founding Fathers owning slaves. 
Hey, good morning, Aaron. Washington Park is named after our first president, and a statue of him on a horse stands prominently here at this park for all to see. But one pastor, as you mentioned, said it is offensive because Washington owned slaves. Bishop James Dukes is calling for the mayor and Chicago Park District to remove the name of not only George Washington, but also Jackson Park, named after President Andrew Jackson. Jackson, as you know, was the seventh president of the United States. Duke says they should not be held to such esteem and considered heroes when they participated in the slave trade. He says the changes could be as simple as naming, naming the parks after African-American heroes like Harold Washington, Jesse Jackson, and Michael Jackson. He explains why the statue should come down. It represents on one hand uh, uh, a hero to some, uh, a forefather, uh, a revolutionary, but then for us of African-American descent, it represents a person who owned 317 slaves. Do you think the average person, though, who looks at the statue and when they're in Washington Park, thinks of slavery with President Washington? Because that's the lack of information and knowledge, and people said we could use this uh, statue as a way of teaching history. So Pastor Dukes doubled down. He said, I don't care if this is a founding father or not. George Washington owned 317 slaves. In fact, let's talk really quick about George Washington as a slave owner. Washington frequently used harsh punishments against his slaves, including whippings and the threat of particularly grueling hard work. If he wasn't pleased with a slave, Washington would sell them to buyers in the West Indies. That person would never see their family or friends at Mount Vernon ever again. He did this without mercy. Washington used this punishment multiple times. And get this, while the Capitol was still in Philly, during Washington's presidency, Pennsylvania passed a law that said any slave living in the state would automatically become free after six months residency. To keep any of his slaves from becoming free under this law, he illegally forced them to travel back and forth to and from his plantation in Virginia. Illegally. This was not legal, guys. And Washington didn't just fight for slavery on the plantation. He fought for it in the government as well. When slaves in Haiti revolted against their white masters, Washington sent $400,000 and 1,000 guns to the slaveholders to help keep the Haitians enslaved. Oh, and let's not forget, he tried to give slaves such as on a judge away as wedding gifts. On a judge, like some of Washington's other slaves, ended up running away. And Washington tried numerous times to catch her and bring her back. Remind us what makes this man any different from a Confederate? Uh, president of the Union? Done. <laughs> <laughs> this son <laughs> over <laughs> We spent all that time setting up this like philosophical question. <laughs> Union, not Confederacy. Done. <laughs> What's the confusion? Done. <laughs> Thank you.
Today's episode isn't going to try to argue that statues of founding fathers should be taken down. Instead, we'll try to figure out why some people find it so unthinkable while others take it so seriously. So last month, we headed to three universities in Nashville, Belmont, Vanderbilt, and Tennessee State University. The first two are predominantly white, while TSU is predominantly black. We started off at Belmont, which actually has a slave history of its own. The school was born when the wealthy Adelicia Cheatham donated her large estate and mansion to be used as the Belmont School for Women. The only problem here was that Adelicia Cheatham received all her wealth from her deceased husband, Isaac Franklin, who just so happened to be the co-founder of Franklin and Armfield, the largest slave trading firm in the United States. He owned six plantations, including one that was called Angola, which was converted into a maximum security prison 15 years after emancipation. But without further ado, let's hear from 10 Belmont students about their thoughts on Confederate statues. I do believe in honoring our country's past, even though it is rocky. I'm not necessarily opposed to the statues being there because I think they're a part of history just like anything else. Um, I, I mean, it is a part of history, but they do represent a time when things weren't so good. Yeah, yeah, statues there are to help you remember like what, they, uh, what the cause was, but you got people nowadays trying to tear them down, tear down a piece of history, just because they're kind of getting sensitive about it. I think that they should burn them down. I really think that it's really screwed up to still have Confederate yeah, statues. Uh, man, the Confederate statues, man, they need to be torn the fuck down, man. Because, like, if you look at why they were started, they were started because the South lost the war, so they had to make it look like and win the history. Well, they lost. Um, in other countries, you don't, you don't see the losing team's heroes up anymore, ever, ever, anywhere. I feel like having a monument for something that a traitor against the United States, I don't feel like should be up. I, I agree that they, you know, they probably don't have a place out in modern society. If people really want to go learn about it, they can go to a museum. So that was Andrew, Eli, Caitlin, Nick, Ava, Lindsay, Shannon, and Makari, who's actually a SoundCloud rapper, and uh, he put us on some new music. Now check out what happened when we asked these same students about the founding fathers, who fought for independence, but who also treated their hundreds of slaves with extreme cruelty. On owning slaves isn't really what he's particularly famous for. What he stood for was gaining this country's independence. Where does that line end of when it's okay to take down the statues? That is, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, George Washington is, you know, yes, he might have owned slaves, but that wasn't, I guess, his purpose and, like, really what he's known for. Not necessarily George Washington, because George Washington, he he did start this. But, like, a lot of people got to realize that, man, just because they the founding fathers, I ain't finna just get them all, all my respect. I think we should say good on them for creating such a, like, a valuable thing. It's obviously shaped our culture. But at the same time, it can't save them personally from the actions that they took in the time that they lived. Well, yeah, back then uh, they did as well own slaves but they weren't fighting to keep that way of life. No, because he was also one of the founding fathers of America. He did a lot for our country. A pretty interesting thing we noticed is that people didn't think twice. They all said things like slavery wasn't the only thing that they were known for, and you have to look at the full character. But if we're thinking critically, 
Is that really enough? Shouldn't we be calling these founding fathers into question more? And things got pretty heavy when one of our guests added even more questions. Does removing any of these statues actually make a difference? Or is it all just symbolic? The statues don't really, like, I'm not really bothered by it. Like, I know that there's racism here, and, and I know that that's something that I'm going to have to deal with, whether there's a monument up about it or whether there's a person that's racist. So we feel like we should take a quick break and give you guys the opportunity to check out some refreshing music by the artist Makari from his new project, For Life. Next, we headed over to Vanderbilt, which is a fairly prestigious university in the South, which, surprise, surprise, also has a big history tied to slavery. The entire idea for Vanderbilt came from a pastor named Holland McTeer, who publicly argued that slavery was God's punishment and that Christians were required to do all they could to make sure that it continued. This guy still has portraits and buildings named after him on the Vanderbilt campus. McTeer successfully recruited his church to the cause, and that church was the Methodist Episcopal Church, comma, South. The comma is very important because before the Civil War, the church formerly separated from the Northern Branch, since the Southern Branch strongly supported slavery. This pro-slavery church ran Vanderbilt for 40 years. McTeer and his church were the ones that got the wealthy businessman Cornelius Vanderbilt to donate the funds necessary to build a new school. And that is how we got Vanderbilt as we know it today. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Here's the point. This school's first chancellors, treasurers, architects, donors, founders, so on and so forth, were all strong supporters of slavery, just like the founding fathers. And even just recently, the Daughters of the Confederacy erected a building for the university called Confederate Memorial Hall, which the school actually just recently renamed. But the school had to pay the Daughters of the Confederacy millions to be able to make that name change. And who knows what they'll go and do with that kind of money. But back to the topic, we were on Vanderbilt's campus, and it was getting colder, and we're not about that, so we only got a couple interviews there. But here's what people had to say about Confederate statues. I definitely think that what the Confederate states did was wrong um, with slavery and everything, obviously, but I don't really know how I feel about the statues quite yet. Um, I think uh, most people are against them so that I've encountered so like everyone's like everyone I know like would want to take them down okay so I'm definitely against them because it's a representation of the confederate and the confederate support of slavery I would say we shouldn't have it so just like Belmont most of the people we interviewed at Vanderbilt were against confederate statues but again look at what happens when we ask them about the slave owning founding fathers 
I mean, George Washington was the first president of the United States, so I feel like that one should stay. Um, I don't know. I think this is a pretty gray area. Like, this, I mean, sure, like, he did have slaves. I think just cause, I don't know. As He's, like, he represents, I think, America as a whole. And I think um, I haven't met anyone who has, like, in general, any negative feelings against George Washington. I definitely think it goes back to the underlying meaning of each statue. Taking a statue is a form of symbolism. That's just showing, yes, I respect you, and I see that that like there's a statue that's representing um, hate against you, and that's why I'm taking it down, to take the hate away. They did have slaves, and that is not something that we should be promoting. The less that we, the less monuments and statues that we have that are like kind of promoting that like mentality, um, the better, in my opinion. Again. The students we talked to didn't understand why anyone would want to remove a statue of the Founding Fathers. As you heard yourself, one student said, I've never met anyone that feels that way about George Washington. So the question is, can we meet anyone that feels this way about George Washington? Of course we can, if we go to the right place. TSU, which is Tennessee State University. And just keep in mind that students at Belmont and Vanderbilt thought the idea of removing the Founding Fathers would be unthinkable, even laughable, because things at TSU are about to get a lot different. So TSU has a completely different history from Belmont and Vanderbilt. It's a HBCU, which is a historically black college or university. And the university was first established as a Tennessee Agricultural and Industrial State Normal School for Negroes in 1912. From its former title, it should be pretty obvious. TSU was never meant to teach black students about the arts or the humanities. It was designed to teach black students how to be productive workers. Obviously, since then, TSU has undergone a lot of change, and some notable alumni include the likes of Oprah, Wilma Rudolph, Dr. Levi Watkins, who was the inventor of the defibrillator, and many, many others. So we kind of snuck our recording equipment into the student center, and the interpretations of history we got there were completely different from anything we'd heard earlier that day. I think they should all be taken down. They should never been built in the first place, simply because you shouldn't build statues or, you know, place certain things in remembrance of hate. I think that they represent something that we're not, we should be trying to get rid of, not still support, so I feel like they should be taken down. Well, I think when you speak of the president, you have to speak of them in their entirety, and they all were slave owners. So you can't excerpt that out of their, you know, lineage. I wouldn't start there, but that is definitely something that should be addressed along the way. Personally, I would, <laughs> just because I'm not with the whole slave ownership thing. We understand we've had a long list of presidents that owned slaves, but there's no way we can erase history. George Washington's still our, our first president, but in regards to Confederate war heroes, they should be taken down because they're just a symbol of hatred. I feel like if they had slaves, they believed that they they believed in slavery, they supported it in a way, so they should be taken down. See, that's a lot more opposition to the Founding Fathers. Suddenly, it's not a question about if it's unthinkable. It's a question of when are these guys getting taken down? Another big difference came into how personally people took it. 
take a second to remember how the people answered the questions at Belmont and Vanderbilt. They said they didn't care much, that the issues didn't really affect them, and that they didn't know anyone that would be against the founding fathers. My favorite part of these interviews is when Brianna pulled this card. You have to see them for all that they were, and all that they were included brutal slave owners. Most people try to use the see them for all that they were argument to excuse the precedents. I thought that was brilliant. Did you notice that people at TSU kept saying that racists are raised this way? I thought it was a big shift from the other schools because no one mentioned that at Vanderbilt or Belmont. And that idea of indoctrination is what this episode is all about. We really don't have conversations about unfounding the fathers. And a big reason for that lack of questioning is how we're taught. Maybe you're wondering what a conversation like this would even look like. Well, while we were at TSU, a group of about 10 students hijacked our podcast and started dissecting the hell out of this topic. Take a listen to what that conversation would look like. I don't like them all. Hold on, can I cuss? So you can say whatever you want. Oh, son, I don't really like them motherfuckers. I mean, I don't like racist folks anyway. I saw a confederate church today. I really wanted to shoot that shit up, to be honest. Listen, if I was back in the day, my name is Nia. If I needed slaves, I'm going to get me some slaves, okay? I need somebody to do all this work, so it makes sense that I have slaves. Like, that just makes sense. To be honest, we really do still have slaves. We have workers, but... Many. Okay. Um, we still have slaves. It might be we getting paid a little bit more, but we still working, you know, under budget. So it, it we have slaves regardless. I feel that if they have statues up, it should be taken down. Why would you want them to continue to get recognition for owning slaves like this dumb? If you're gonna get a statue, it should be for some positive, yeah. not owning slaves. That's stupid. That's dumb. George Washington. Fuck him. He, he, what has he done for you? Bro. What has he done for you? What has he done for you? What did he do for the country? What? what? You exactly. tell me. That's what I'm asking you. What That's have you done? Why should, he, why, his, why should his statue down. remain? Why should it come down? Why should it not? Just because he had slaves? Yup. Negative. Was the That's a negative. That was in back then, I don't, I don't get no fuck. We decided we needed to consult an expert, so we went to see Professor Richard Blackett. Dr. Blackett is a highly respected historian who holds the prestigious Andrew Jackson Chair at Vanderbilt University. His main focus is the abolitionist movement. He's the perfect person to talk to about this subject, and he also has a little bit of mischief in him. Uh, and people are going to ask you, who is this guy with this foreign accent talking about Confederate statues? You could tell him I'm from Chattanooga. Not really. <laughs> Man, I really love that guy. Now listen to what he had to say about Confederate monuments. I have long thought that Confederate monuments are a political statement by certain groups of people, the object of which is to ensure uh, that the, the, the myth of the Confederacy remains and endures. Uh, if, you, if you look at their history, they were erected at certain times, uh, at a time when Jim Crow uh, had established itself permanently or significantly in, in the political landscape, at a time when uh, blacks were being disenfranchised, uh, and again at a time when blacks were on the move during the civil rights movement. Uh, so these are political 
uh, statements that aim to drive home a message of what the, the, the folks who believe in that myth uh, 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 demanded that blacks stay in a, in, in a role and in a position that they, they see fit. Uh, they serve no purpose uh, except to uh, create problems for those people uh, who are seen as inferior. This is a man that is ready for these statues to come down. But listen to what happened when we mentioned Trump's video. You know, the one where Trump said, How about Thomas Jefferson? What do you think of Thomas Jefferson? You like him? I do. Okay, good. Are we going to take down the statue? Because he was a major slave owner. Now that is where things got really interesting. No, but, but you have to keep in mind here that this is a country that was developed uh, and built by slaveholders. Every, every state in, that created the, the United States of America were slaveholding states. The problem only started to arise when certain portions of the country decided to emancipate their slaves, free their slaves. And then you have a problem coming into the country. And then you have to start raising questions, what does it mean all men are created equal? But, but to go back to our illustrious president, um, among us all, he threw a wrench. Because by equating the removal of one with the other, he forced uh, those people who are calling for the removal of Confederate statues on the defensive. Uh, they, had to f they, they were forced to differentiate. So I am not willing to join that debate. I say, I, if, when people ask me that, I say that is, that is a red herring. I am talking to you about the removal of Confederate statues. Uh, because the, to, to concede uh, some kind of equal concern, although I do have it, is to put myself on, on, on the defensive. And correctly, one is a, if one is, is waving the flag, as this question suggests, the people that you, that you are trying to give a, an equivalent position to are people who were treasonous, who tried to destroy the country. Uh, and had they succeeded, I wouldn't be here. Well, I might have been here in a different position, but <laughs> I wouldn't be talking to you in the same way. Pay attention there, because if you listen closely, this well-respected historian is saying that he won't advocate removing the statues of founding fathers only because he doesn't want to hurt his other cause, removing the Confederates. So we pushed him on it. So I understand if I had all things being politically equal, I would, I would advocate for the removal of any statues of, of Jefferson. Listen, it's only recently we found out that Jefferson was sleeping with his slaves and having children with them. Uh, and that, listen, the evidence was always there. And people wrote biographies of, of, of Jefferson that you could stop a door with, uh, that it could be a dangerous weapon, they're so big. <laughs> and yet, people went through the records, saw that, and never commented on it until recently. It's been less than 10 years that we've come to the, a real appreciation of the extent to which Jefferson was sleeping around, or at least, well, I don't know how much he was sleeping around, but he had a slave, he had a, a, a slave with whom he was having children um, and never freed them. You can tell that Dr. Blackett wants to condemn the founding fathers as well, but he worries it could affect the chances of removing the Confederates. 
which is a completely reasonable concern to have. One is perhaps far more radical than the other, after all. So it may come around to that. Uh, that that is that people start asking for the removal of, uh, of. But then who are you left with? Nations must have symbols. So who are you going to be left with? Um, Benjamin Franklin, that old geezer, uh, who left his wife and lived with another woman in London for years, uh, you know. But uh, and all all the symbols and the heroes are themselves. They all have flaws. The question is, how many flaws puts you in a place where nobody wants to recognize you? Remember how George Washington used the separations of families as a punishment? I think that is more than enough flaws for one person. But Dr. Blackett has a great point. If we took down the Founding Fathers, who would be left? Would we replace every George Washington with a Nat Turner? Every Thomas Jefferson with an Ida B. Wells? We started talking about that, and we thought back to how most people at Vanderbilt and Belmont had chosen to defend the Founding Fathers. Specifically, they said, they built this country. Let's do a little country comparison. Uh, bear with us here. We're going to take a big leap across the ocean, so make sure you're paying attention. Okay, so in South Africa, that's a pretty common expression amongst racist white people. Often when the black majority tries to condemn a racist historical figure, the white minority responds, they built this country. For those that don't know, in 1652, Dutch colonists and later the British came to what is today Cape Town, South Africa. They settled there permanently, building towns, farms, and ports. As they slowly built what we know today as South Africa, they killed indigenous people for land and imported slaves for labor. And that's why many white South Africans claim they built the country. But that doesn't stop anyone from demanding that these slave-owning founding fathers be removed. Here to talk about the history of South Africa and its slave-owning founding fathers is Asher Gamedze from the University of Cape Town in South Africa. Asher Gamedze is a cultural worker with a particular interest in the field of writing and music. He has a degree in history and geography from the University of Cape Town where he also did postgraduate research and teaching in African studies. Recently, Asher has spent a lot of his time exploring the understudied topic of slavery in South Africa. So we asked him to share what he's learned, and this is what he told us. So the slavery in the Cape um, began with Dutch colonialism, which uh, uh, it's in terms of the history began with uh, the settlement of the Dutch East India Company in 1652, which I think I said. The first shipments of slaves, I think, be, um, took place at the end of that, towards the end of that decade. Um, and at that point, people were coming from um, really all over, like um, Batavia, um, Ethiopia, um, and as I said, some countries further for east of that. In Cape Town, it was rare for for um, people who owned slaves to own more than um, even 10. Um, so, I mean, there were people who owned, I think, between 30 and 50, but it, um, that was very rare. But then there is a, there is a very big um, history of 
um, slaves working as agricultural labor. So um, towards the end of the 17th century, a lot of um, French Huguenots fled anti-protestant legislation and prosecution in Europe and settled in, in, in South Africa, in, in Cape Town. And with, um, with the French people, they brought, um, they brought um, wine, wine farming, um, which is now one of the biggest exports of, um, of the region. So, um, well, I guess all of the wine farms were using slave labor at that time. One of the great slave revolts in Cape history was in 1808, led by um, a slave by the name of Louis, who came from Mauritius. Um, and um, this always fascinates me. Um, Louis had been reading newspapers um, and had found out about um, the Haitian Revolution and had been reading about Toussaint. Toussaint was a leader of a major slave rebellion in Haiti which transformed the country from a French colony ruled by white slave owners to what we know today as the independent nation of Haiti. Um, so um, Louis thought, yo, let's get it together and um, let's, let's make revolution. In addition to slaves, Louis was joined by indigenous resistors as well, who had also been forced into labor in many situations. Um, so... Um, Basically, what they did was um, rounded up the, the slaves uh, who he was working with on the farm that he was, and then they went farm to farm um, and organized the slaves, um, spread the word around the slaves around what was happening, and then they tied the masters up, I think, in the houses, and then they took the slaves and they went. And they did that farm to farm um, until there were, I think, about 300, 330 slaves. Uh, their plan was to march all the way to Cape Town um, to hand over a petition to uh, the governor, which would have uh, laid the foundation for the establishment of a new republic, um, which outlawed slavery. That that slave revolt was eventually um, crushed, um, with some of the slave leaders being executed, others being put onto Robben Island as prisoners. Louis was trying to completely overthrow who we might call the founding fathers of South Africa. He wanted to start a new republic with the power residing in the formerly enslaved, not the formerly enslaving. But he was stopped, and his followers were either executed or put into the same prison that Nelson Mandela would be put in over a century later. But over time, a lot of this history of South African slavery and colonialism was whitewashed. Villains of the past got to come into the future and be heroes of the present. This created a situation where slave owning and racist founding fathers still demanded respect and commemoration. And that's where the Roads Must Fall movement comes in. So Roads Must Fall was a, uh, a movement of black students which um, organized at the uh, University of Cape Town in 2015. Um, and uh, Roads Must Fall was um, put forward a, a very thorough critique of the university um, as a colonial institution um, rooted in uh, colonial and uh, Eurocentric um, paradigms of thought um, as, as, as a, a product and producer of racism and sexism. 
Rose Must Fall's critique of the university was um, essentially that it was a university for white people. Um, the education system, the curriculum was um, tailored for people who came from a particular background, people who spoke a, a particular kind of English, um, people who um, would resonate positively when taught history of like settlers um, rather than uh, taught history of, um, of slave revolts, for example, you know. And when people started to think about how to make the university a home for black students as well, Roads Must Fall directed a lot of their attention at a particular monument on campus. It was a statue of one of South Africa's late founding fathers from the 19th century, Cecil Rhodes. He was idolized by white South Africans because he tried to build and expand on a white nation that would span Southern Africa. He was a colonizer and a ruthless one at that. And so he had statues everywhere, including on the campus of the University of Cape Town. Students threw paint, trash, and even feces on the statue until the school, which was built on Rhodes' personal land, decided it had no choice but to remove the monument from the campus. Founding father was dethroned. All right, so let's bring it back to the States, where almost none of the founding fathers find themselves dripping in paint or feces. Keep in mind what Asher said about the University of Cape Town, how it was built for white students and specifically not for black students, and how that feeling persisted to this day. Now let's listen to what our last participant from TSU, Robert, had to say about the founding fathers of the United States. I think when you say built this country, um, it kind of still overlooks the fact that they didn't build this country for everyone. Like they didn't you know, build the country for you know, the freedom of enslaved Africans. They never envisioned the freedom of enslaved Africans. So the fact that they built this country has, it means nothing to me because they, they didn't have me in mind. They didn't have anyone that looked like me in mind when they're drafting, you know, the Constitution, drafting the Articles of, of Confederation, making these policies and thinking of how they affected people because, you know, you know, I wasn't a citizen. I wouldn't have been a citizen, you know. So we've heard the sentiment before. Let's call back to it real quickly. George Washington. Fuck him! Yeah, he, what has he done for you? So the country wasn't built for everyone. Just like how South Africa was built for white colonists. Just like how Belmont was built for white women by the wife of a major slave trader. And how Vanderbilt was built for white southerners by pro-slavery forces. And how the University of Cape Town was built for white South Africans on the Rhodes Estate. With this in mind, of course so many of our white participants were defensive of the Founding Fathers. For them it's true, Washington and Jefferson did build a country for them, but not necessarily for everyone. And that is where the conversation of change has to start. I asked Robert one last question about how he thought these Founding Fathers could ever be replaced. That and revolution go hand in hand, like we have like it's a complete, you know, substitution of, you know, you said a species of men with another species of men, meaning that you have a complete substitution of this ideology. You can't have both of them, you know, simultaneously existing in the same place because that would be detrimental to the mission of the revolution. And maybe that's what we need. We all need to change the mindset that we currently have. As of now, perhaps too many of us are too quick to brush aside the idea that we should even be talking about this. While others, 
especially the descendants of those that actually suffered under slavery, are beyond ready to see Washington and Jefferson come down. Why should his statue remain? Why should it come down? Why should it not? And maybe that's how a revolution begins, with a simple question. Maybe they begin with a simple, why not? episode of uncolonial history we'll be back in january with more episodes but first we're gonna need your help all right so your first task is to go to uncolonial.com and scroll down the home page you should find a link for a gofundme campaign which we will have already started if you love what we do at uncolonial history if you want to help us get this thing moving and growing send us whatever you can spare or alternatively you can check out the shirts we have available on our instagram which go for 25 bucks a pop and now for the credits danielle moore is the unspoken member of the podcast team a huge asset to uncolonial history this episode was produced by david hamilton and noah ramage our cfo is jasmine joseph our graphic designer is christian gold and our social media director is Monica Sekakwapua. Once again, this has been Uncolonial History, and we'll see you next year. Then that's just part of it. Just, just tell people where we are really quick. We're right here on Knockout Wings on Jefferson Street. You know, shout out to, to Knockout Wings, whoever owns this. You know, they've been, they've been serving North Nashville for an uh, uh, unknown amount of time. And I hope they continue to do so. You know, I really love their chicken. The, the lemon pepper bangs. The mild also bangs. I mean, the biscuit is by far the best thing you can ever put in your mouth. You know, Noah seconds that motion that the biscuit is great. I've heard it. You know.